2: Next Thursday, England will play in their first World Cup semi-final for 27 years, taking on either Australia or India at Edgbaston. After that thumping defeat at the hands of Australia at Lords just over a week ago, a few of us may have had our doubts, but Owen Morgan's side have come good when it mattered, following up Sunday's win over India with a comprehensive, Johnny Bairstow-inspired 119-run victory over New Zealand and Durham. New Zealand will almost certainly join England in the last four, barring a Pakistan win of absolutely epic proportions against Bangladesh on Friday. But if they do go through, it'll be with a whimper. The Kiwis' strong early form in the tournament, deserting them. Welcome to the Wisden Cricket Daily Podcast, in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. I'm your host, Joe Harmon. Later, we'll be hearing the thoughts of New Zealand journalist Andrew Alderson, but first I'm joined by Ben Jones of CrickViz. Ben, you told me yesterday you'd either be in a brilliant mood or a terrible <laughs> one. Uh, I'm blessing you Get pretty chipper after that.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's a more kind of exhausted relief. Yeah, um, it's, I've spent the last four years building up to this day without really knowing that I was building up to it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I feel I feel very calm now. It was it would have been an injustice really if England hadn't got to the semi-finals. Not because they don't not because they particularly deserve it within this tournament. They've been stop start. They've not been brilliant. But for the last four years, they've been the best ODI side in the world, certainly in the top four. Um, and it would have been a real shame if during a home World Cup they hadn't they hadn't made it to last four.
2: it would have been a hard one to stomach uh, and a long four years to wait to wait for the next just one so
0: much staring into the mirror just <laughs> like can we ever do anything in ball cricket um yeah
2: so it, it, yeah i'm relieved I'm, I'm i'm calm i've it's yeah it's the calm after the storm <laughs> until next thursday and then it all, all starts again uh, anyway on today's match uh what was your moment of the day
0: my moment of the day was uh the catch that joss butler pulled off to dismiss Martin Guptill Yeah. Joffre Archer digs it in short on a pitch that's not really given much to that kind of delivery. It's been quite slow, it's been a bit kind of stodgy bounce and for some reason this one just gets up and Guptill's too far across the off side and knocks it down down leg and you think it's going to go away for four because Butler's not been in the best form with the gloves but then he manages to kind of time everything very balletically and all of his alignments work everything kind of falls into place and he manages to at full reach just get a glove to to the chance and takes it and gets up and celebrates Appropriately, and Bester comes in and rubs his head and kind of the full wicketkeeper's union and stuff, and it was it was just a really nice moment for for Butler because he started the summer really really poorly with the gloves mm. and quite a lot he, of
2: people saying Besto should be keeping yeah. across the board.
0: Um, I mean, I mean to do my thing statistically, there's very little difference between them in right. terms of the impact that they have. It doesn't really matter. Besto is a slightly better ground fielder or outfielder rather, so it's kind of although worth Butler's ha-
2: ha- clearly no mug, is he? What well, exactly? Is
0: that's, that's the point. Besto is probably a slightly better keeper, but he's a significantly better fielder, so it's yeah. worth having him out there. But it was just a nice moment to see the butler who's had a mixed time with the with the bat during the tournament he obviously got the ton against Pakistan but he's not really come off it was nice to see him get a moment where he could be like oh yes I've I've contributed something really emphatically skillful and beautiful as as Joss generally
2: does but hasn't done so far there is still time for that of course it was also not just a brilliant piece of keeping but also a, a potentially decisive moment in the game it, it kind of felt I think McCullum and Ian Smith have both said on commentary of New Zealand going to chase down that kind of total 300 plus then Guptill hat- to really come off because of the the kind of the nature of their rest of their batting order. So up till. To go early and in that manner was a real kind of hammer blows New Zealand. It felt like at the time.
0: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because obviously New Zealand's best player is Kane Williamson, and he can do pretty much anything, but he can't really do kind of run a ball hundred and forties in big Ten He's, That's not really his
2: style. He's, he also can't really afford to because he can't take the risk to allow exactly. him to do that because the other players around him aren't doing their jobs.
0: Exactly. So you need other players to come in and play those high risk innings. But Duxhill is probably the guy who you think a bit like how Butler is for England generally that you. You kind of just think anything is possible as long as they're there. If if it comes, if if they come off, they could do anything in any number of balls, and it's it's a is the ceiling on what the team can achieve is raised significantly by their presence. It's funny that McCullum was the one saying that because at the last World Cup, you had McCullum and Guptil yeah. doing that, and that meant that they were a significantly better side because you had that ridiculous anchoring middle order of Taylor and Williamson but actually you had that firecracker opening partnership which meant that you felt like New Zealand could come out and charge at the blocks and chase anything but they mm. could also completely take all risk out of chasing 270 which is kind of the, the skill that you need to win all sorts of ODI games and yeah it was a shame that Guptill didn't come off today just because we were robbed of a spectacle but it was yeah it was a beautiful moment for Butler and a, a, obviously a very influential moment in the game
2: so talking of New Zealand's top order that's where my moment of the day comes from as well Henry Nichols is his first only uh, a your second innings of the tournament gets trapped LBW in theory finger goes straight up from the umpire off of Chris Wokes Um he has a kind of brief consultation with Guptill and then and then wanders off and I, I think everyone thought at the time it's a bit high at least high enough to have a look at certainly that was Atherton's uh, reaction in, in the commentary box and yet, sure enough as the as he doesn't call for review but as the replay shows it was missing the stumps wasn't even clipping the bail so it wouldn't have wouldn't it would have been overturned uh, and it just struck me as well that it, they would they were talking in the commentary box about it showing a lack of confidence 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 in from Henry Nicholls that he didn't necessarily think his wicket was valuable enough to use the review on but I think more specifically than that I think he was thinking can I use potentially Kane Williamson's review Kane Williamson is so important to them I think they said he's scored 32% of their runs in the World Cup before today Uh, so I think in the back of his mind thinking well if I call for this one and I don't get it right and then Williamson gets one potentially next (laughs) ball I've basically blown the match for us so he just kind of wanders off and and
0: takes it. It's a strange way of thinking isn't it because it it almost lulls you into thinking that a a referral or review is a life for a batsman <laughs> it's yeah. not yeah you still have to not get out you can't you can't just be like well i was plum but i've reviewed it and i'm fine um so it is strange i think i think there's a lot this we're still relatively in the early stages of batsman understanding how reviews work and kind of the logic and probably the, you know, probably the ma- cricket as well exactly and probably the mathematics behind it as well whether it's worth reviewing ever a uh, particular like certain kind like cat caught behinds where you can't have the review retained and stuff like that but I did, I, I did think at the time when, when he was struck it did look high and I celebrated as I'm prone to do rather emphatically but <laughs> I celebrated the not reviewing of it a lot more than I celebrated it being given out
2: well I thought even a celebration I thought was kind of muted to a certain extent yeah. he was thinking well we might not necessarily get this but Nichols did the uh, did the work for him and, and wandered off
0: it was, a, it was a little bit odd and a bit of a shame because obviously what we're saying here is that one of the openers was dismissed by a really lovely bit of skill yeah. and one of them was dismissed well wasn't well, dismissed wasn't dis- <laughs> And so that's a bit of a shame because yeah, it was today was all set up for a, a really cracking game and it kind of fizzled out because of those two dismissals quite early.
2: Yeah, I thought England bowled really well up top. I thought Chris Wokes was was excellent again as he was against India and actually against Australia, which kind of got forgotten in the in the midst of it. I thought he was really good first up, maybe not quite so much in the the latter overs.
0: He's the power play one, King, isn't he? Because mm. you've basically got him. I think Trent Bolt is the only bowler to take more wickets than him in the first ten since the last World Cup, and that goes under the radar a little bit because he's obviously not the most. You know, he's not the most. Outrageous character. He's fairly chilled. He's not the most outrageous cricketer in terms of his style, um, and so we kind of, you know, we kind of ignore him, Wokes, really, generally, until he takes, you know, twelve for at Lords for no runs in yeah. a Test match, and then we all remember how good he is. But that that isn't that isn't a new thing. Wokes bowling brilliantly with the new ball, and he's he's really underpinning this campaign. I thought England have been brilliant with the ball, the seamers particularly. The spinners have been a bit mixed, to put it n- nicely, really. Yeah. But actually, Wokes has, has led from the front and given England good starts in basically every game.
2: Yeah, I think there was a few people. I think when Archer arrives where does Wokes stand but I think he's shown us all just just how important he is to this England side and he does something different to the to the rest of them and, and uh, impacts them in a different way to the rest of them as well
0: yeah I mean for, they're still trying to find the balance aren't they they're still trying to work it out as to who drops out because Archer needs to play and Wood's playing so well so he's almost undroppable and I think really England probably want to drop Mark Wood because of the role that he fulfills in the side is similar to Plunkett, but not quite as good as with the batting and, and Archer's got
2: the raw pace and Archer, so
0: you kind of he's hes not really necessary in terms of his role but he's just been incredible statistically and he's putting out these incredible numbers and he's a great presence stuff around the side and everyone seems to really like having him around and so in a way they've almost been forced into dropping Moeen who I, I don't think they wanted to drop really mm. they they do like having two spinners I mean they bowled Root a lot today yeah. um, as soon as the wickets started to fall yeah so Archer's, Archer's presence and his emergence has caused a few problems but they're good problems aren't they it's, it's it, absolutely you've got to try and problems. squeeze in this the the other bowlers would kill for these. <laughs>
2: exactly. We haven't spoken about the hero of, of the day uh, yet, uh, Johnny Bairstow. Third century on the bounce versus New Zealand, second consecutive hundred in the World Cup. I feel like we should be searching for a negative to uh, to further fuel <laughs> his run spree and, and uh, that fire in his belly, as Owen Morgan described after India. But when he bats like that, it's very hard to pick any negatives at all. I'd yeah,
0: I, I thought the left side of his beard was a little bit unkempt. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that he. Yeah, oh, he hadn't I see s- the headlines. He hadn't
2: fastened his glove correctly. I mean, I mean slams Johnny beard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's in he's incredible form. He's he's a ridiculous player, so isn't he? Because he does seem to do everything against someone. He doesn't seem to do anything for himself. Everything seems to be kind of to prove a point or to kind of go out and prove someone wrong it's very it's it's quite he's an angry player but he's just so relentlessly good he doesn't play like like inconsistently he doesn't play like a kind of firebrand he's he's just relentlessly churning out runs he's starting to get to the point he's nowhere near on the same level um, as a as a player but he's getting to that point the Rohit Sharma is where you're almost surprised when he doesn't make a century absolutely and that's that's a hell of a a thing to have in a a lineup where which is full of brilliant batsmen who make tons all the time but actually best is the one who you're like oh he's nicked off that's that's weird Whereas root root goes out and gets 80s and Roy go either gets 20 or 150. It's Besto's the one who you think yeah he's the most reliable one. I think that was why a lot of us were quite shocked with the Sri Lanka performance was he was the one okay he's gonna he's gonna see England home here. But he, it's almost like that that failure has just seen him double down. Now he's gone two centuries in two games and he he looks he looks unstoppable. I mean, I, would you bet against him making three in a row? Would no, you definitely, if, definitely if he can get to the final would I you say doubt. he's going to get four in a row you? you'd probably ban quality at the moment he's he's seeing the ball like a beach ball
2: and him and Roy as well I mean they got England off to another absolute flyer today which I thought they did the contrast the first kind of six or seven overs which just showed that they're playing different different cricket here and there is I wonder if there's a kind of a competitive Spirit between Roy and Best there yeah. as well, in a, in a sense that they obviously, they're both very much team players and don't play for landmarks, but they also see one player shot, the other player is a shot. They both got to 50 within kind of two or three balls of each other today. They, they just, they seem to perfectly complement each other. Uh, and Best, there was reference to kind of Best's patchy form early in the tournament. I mean, he got a couple of very early dismissals, which, I mean, if you get dismissed that early, can even be in bad form, especially. To me, he's looked in fantastic form throughout the tournament, and now we're just seeing him get the scores to, to kind of back that up.
0: They're a really funny pair, Roy and Best. Because they average more than every other opening partnership in history that have played twenty times together in ODI mm. cricket. They they are the best ODI opening partnership ever in that regard. And that is mad. But it we also slightly underestimate or rather overestimate how good Hales and Roy were. We think that they were absolutely relentless. They weren't. They average they I think they've got the third worst opening partnership for England on average. They one of them would always go on and do well, but as an actual pair, they weren't very, That's interesting. They weren't very okay. effective. They they were obviously two brilliant players in good form, but yeah. they, they weren't quite the same match as these two are. Whereas Roy and Bester, they just seemed to come Compliment each other and it, I don't think it's any coincidence that England's revival and kind of clarity of thought and strategy has come off the back of those two being reunited when it was Vincent and and, uh, and Besto, England were struggling I mean yeah. against Afghanistan they got away with it um, because of Morgan but generally it's it's that that's hinged to the performance um, and they've they're, they're, those two coming back together has really kind of just kickstarted ah yes England are actually very good at yeah. ODI cricket <laughs> it's felt,
2: that's felt like a decisive factor over the last yeah. week or so hasn't it
0: which is why um, Besto diving to try and save three when um, <laughs> yeah. when I and I when the game is absolutely I won I did it did win just, win just feels absolutely one. reckless it's like Archer yeah. doing anything other than but running into ball. Quite well I thought yeah absolutely but don't do it again Johnny
2: so there was a few uh, grumbles as, as England's brilliant start fell away today and they really struggled in those kind of latter mid overs and then had a little flour at the end to get over over 300 um, Ben Stokes I think 11 from 27 balls today kind of did it did a doney but <laughs> it right. does seem to be a, a trend developing in the, in the recent part of this tournament where teams are getting good starts or excellent starts in the case of today uh, And then falling away and not getting the 350 that they they seem to be set for I wondered if this does have something to do with the, the pitches and I noticed this thing today that Crickviz pitch pace rating which is actually new to me uh, so th- the stat I saw was it was the pitch rating pitch pace rating was 8.4 in the first power play of England's innings and three for the third power play can you explain how that's calculated and exactly what it means and what it's showing us
0: yeah yeah no it's it's really cool basically we um we take all the career data for the bowlers that are playing in the match and all the ground data for sort of the ball tracking data the Hawkeye stuff DRS all all that kind of data Uh, how fast they bowl how much seam they get all of of these kind of components of their bowling and through a very complicated mathematical thing that I don't quite understand we compare it to what they're getting on any given day and then you basically get an average you you can basically assess the effect that the pitch is having on their bowling and then that comes out as a a series of numbers that compare how the bounce of the the pitch the deviation so how much spin they're getting how much seam they're getting and the pace and the pace is kind of the pace off the so how much how much the ball is decelerating after it after it pitches, yeah. which is ob- obviously what you're talking about when you think about the ball sticking in the pitch sure. or tennis ball bounce or if it's kissing the surface. All of those kind of things are about the speed that the ball is coming off the pitch. Um, and today we saw that in the in the first ten overs, like you say, eight point four is very high. That's a that's a very high pace rating. And the ball was coming really onto the bat. And everyone was going, oh, it's a road. It's an absolute road. (laughs) Bester and Roy, they're both going to get doubles. England are going to get a million. Um, And New Zealand are probably going to chase it down. But then as the mid Lovers come in, it drops. I think in the mid Lovers it dropped to 34 um, I should know, I wrote about it about ten minutes ago. um but it kept on kept on dropping, and then it stayed low for the New Zealand innings as well. Um basically, the pitch slowed up. I don't know quite why' um, it's it's not an exact science pitch deterioration, but basically the pitch got slower and harder to time your strokes on. and as a result, no one no batting lineup could really have matched what England did at the start of the day because the ball wasn't coming on they weren't playing effectively yeah. on the same wicket they essentially played two different games which is why in some ways the argument that oh best and roy only do it on flat pitches obviously inherently that's it's fatuous it's silly they're they've done it in so many different conditions but today it was actually true they did get the best of the conditions and they nailed it and they made it count and that's in a way lucky but it's all it also shows the class of them that given this little window where they had good opportunities to score they did they scored 123 and 18 overs and it won on
2: the game and quickly they can assess the conditions and work out what they should be on at turnovers I think that's a very impressive part of their, their partnership as well
0: I think there's a lot of guys in the England coaching staff
2: that are very good at reading pitches because
0: as much as we talk about England you know struggling on slow wickets stodgy wickets they rarely go out and try and actually get 400 on those wickets they know that they need to adapt mm. it's just that they haven't always got the skills to adapt and yeah. that's fine you know teams have no one ever really criticizes slow scoring teams for not being able to make 400 on flat decks it never mm. works the other way around but you're right the actual ability to read a surface and kind of understand what you need to do to judge par before you've made it is a really important skill because it means that England can know actually no we don't need to get 350 today they could have tried to accelerate when Stokes was getting 11 off 20 or whatever it was they could have tried to carry on going and Stokes skies it on 2 and then Morgan skies it earlier but actually they knew that if they just stayed calm and progressed through the innings in the same way that they did against South Africa and in the same way that they did against India they realised that actually 320 is going to be a match winning score here
2: so the reduction in the pitch pace rating that we saw today is that reflective of a trend over the past few games, and does it mean that winning the toss and batting first is going to be absolutely huge come the semi-finals?
0: I'm not entirely sure on the on the first point. I think it was definitely the point with um, with the England India game at Edgebaston. So that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, as so, a, kind of, as a yeah, so you could see that this. that could be a pattern that we would look we would look to see. But you know, different different pitches on the same square behave very very differently. We saw that the um, was it New Zealand Pakistan game was that at Edgebaston, and, and the ball and was it, was that where Santner just absolutely ragged it, or there was there was there was there was a game at Edgebaston where we saw the pit the, the pitch just spin ridiculously, and it was it was terrifying. And then obviously we rocked up and cool deep, and what well, Jahal goes for his most expensive yeah. spell ever, and actually it didn't really spin that much. So it's sometimes a bit over the top to read too much into just the fact that it's in the same 20 meters. It's pitches behave, pitches aren't an exact science; they behave weirdly. Sure, but like you say, that there is the sun's out, it's change, it, it's getting throughout the day, it's getting hotter, the pitch is getting drier. That does change the way that the surfaces are.
2: Playing. and the toss so how so how impactful is, is I, don't, I,
0: I don't know I think I mean today it was obviously massively impactful because it meant that England got that 20 over head start where the but I don't know if that's going to be the case everywhere there's no reason why you know that that deterioration could happen a couple of hours earlier um, if the sun's hotter any particular day or it's damper or whatever all those kind of vague components that are in the yeah. air and um, could mean that it just deteriorates before play starts and then it's just difficult to bat on all day um, at Manchester or Birmingham we don't we don't know
2: I mean taking the science out of it though uh, it looks like England are much more Comfortable yeah. setting a target than chasing a target. I moment. think
0: England look way more comfortable being able to pause whilst aiming to get 350 and then go. We're going to get 310. That's fine. But if they're chasing 320, that's when they panic. It's when they yeah. okay, hang on, we might not be able to do this, and then they don't give themselves the best chance of getting close. They they just seem to implode. Whereas yeah, like you say, it, when they're batting first, there's there's a clarity to the way they think, and they're a bit they're a bit more they're a bit more not considered, but they they just seem to be able to keep their heads for longer yeah. and then go hard at the end, like we saw today.
2: And it's also like Roy and Berto can just imprint themselves in the game yep. from the very start,
0: which they do a lot. That, that, that's that's not a. They do that's, don't, that's not, not rare.
2: Pretty much every time, or at least one of them does it pretty much. It three, three
0: opening three century opening partnerships in this World Cup in a row or something like that? It's and the, all quick as well. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't mess around. They're not. They're laying platforms. Saw so something the other day. It's basically they're like they're laying platforms, but at the rate at which people pinch it, so it's kind of yeah. they're going out and they're going hard to like try and steal a march on the opposition, but they're then making 120. So it, yeah. you're getting the advantages of. Both strategies, which is, you know, it's ridiculous how, how good they are at doing that.
2: Uh, in amongst all the excitement, I believe you had a gripe. Ben Uh, and this was Mark Wood's run out of Kane Williamson which was obviously a a very big moment in the game but you're not happy what, with that mode of dismissal is that
0: what (laughs) contrary to the caricature that's often painted of me on this show um, I do occasionally get quite grumpy about cricket the dismissal whereby a batsman hits the ball back down down the the pitch and a bowler sticks their hand out in hope and just vaguely touches it and the ball continues on its path hits the stumps and dismisses the non-striker it's legitimate it's fine there's no issue with the spirit of cricket here there's none of that none of the man caddy nonsense like it's completely legitimate and bowlers should be allowed to do it um, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be in the rules it's not it's not fair to
2: any because there's not enough skill involved there's no there. skill involved
0: all all the batsmen
2: sometimes is... there's a bit of skill involved uh, I, do, I don't because sometimes bowlers play for it and manage to get thi- into a kind of awkward position to, I think to you deflect can the ball. I think you
0: can play for it but I don't think any bowler can say that they have practiced the skill of deflecting a a, a ricocheting the ball back onto the stumps i think it's instinctive so that's perhaps even more it's fine i like i I get it I, i i do understand that there's it's it's impressive and bowlers should be praised if they do it well but i I just find it fundamentally it's more of like a gut thing it just doesn't feel fair to anyone it's not rewarding anything good in some ways obviously people are saying oh the batsman's out of his ground but like batsmen are allowed to be out of their ground to steal a run but to then punish a batsman so heavily by being dismissed just feels so just over the top in terms of today's game suffered and Kane Williamson didn't really make a mistake Mm. all he did was be a tiny fraction out of his crease and then England didn't do anything Right. right other than Mark Wood stick his finger out and get a tiny touch on it and then it goes into the stumps. I'm saying this in, in <laughs> knowledge that I'm getting I'm going to get absolutely massacred right, well, for it. That's, that's for Ben's view. If you <laughs> care this
2: much about this modus dismissal no one does. No one on, does. on Twitter. Hashtag uh, Ask Wisdom uh, or you can just tell Ben that he's being boring and you don't care. That's Please so don't so at me. Please. I've, I've
0: had it already. I only posted <laughs> it on Twitter an hour ago and I've had it all afternoon.
2: Okay. Uh, what are we going to talk about next? Uh, okay. The semi-final seeing as England are there. Um, England finished third we know that which means they will play the team who finished second which is currently India uh, and will continue to beat India unless Australia loses to South Africa. Uh, and and India win the last game. And India win the last game, of course. Who would you prefer to play if you were if you were England?
0: It's hard. I would still prefer to play Australia because Australia are worse than India. Hmm. But it's remarkable that it takes a bit of thought. At the start of the tournament, if you said, who do you want to play in the semi-final, India or Australia? Well, wouldn't have taken any thought, would it? You yeah, you'd have been like, oh yeah, obviously
2: the team that can't win or the team that you only You'd have win. said, well, Australia aren't even going to, get to the semi-finals. Yeah, whilst jumping <laughs> on my laptop. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I, I I think that Australia's um, recovery has been ridiculous and they're clearly a much better side now they've, they've got the balance right everyone knows their role they're clearly a rising side and I would not be surprised one bit if England lost to them in the semi-final if they played them um, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if Australia won the whole thing they're clearly they're, they're a, a team on the march but England would rather play them in the semi-final, not at Lords, because they've already played them at Lords and Australia Didn't won. Well. Yeah, They've played India at in, in, uh, Baston and they won. And I think at this point, England they're almost up to a speed now where they've had two must-win games and they've won both of them. I feel like keeping it at that level of intensity where you're playing, you feel like you're playing the best is, is as good a chance of England's kind of staying staying focused and getting the best out of their um out of their performance because i think it, it, if they face if they face australia i can i can just see it as like okay so we've got to get through this and then we have got to beat india in the final <laughs> whereas actually if they just face india in the semi final they might lose that's fine but it's almost like that's that's the big challenge, and then you can kind of recover, do your research, go back again. I don't know. I, at this point, it's too emotional a decision. Like I don't, I, I don't want to play either of them. I, I, just, I just want England to almost disappear out of the tournament, not go out, but just kind of not be in it anymore. It's too much.
2: Well, I think I think it. I definitely feel like it will be India. I think Australia will be desperate to win that last game because yeah. they'll want to play New Zealand, who are really sort of struggling uh, in these later stages of the group stage. Uh, also, that means they get two extra days rest because the Old Trafford semi-final is on yep. the Tuesday. is on the Thursday. For what its worth, I would rather play in. In the semis, uh, I think there's because because I want to get England to the final, so I think I think the easier game at this stage is India, <laughs> which is bizarre. <laughs> which is bizarre, and I think it's probably more of a kind of a, an emotional thing than a than a statistical thing that I'm thinking that. I no, just no. think there's there's a thing about Australia, particularly given what happened at Lords, particularly yeah. given the the fact they were written off at the start of the tournament, and I, I think there are chinks in India. These have been discussed on the show over the last couple of days that that England can really exploit again, having already exploited to Edg- uh, baston only a few days ago, and I think that England India side is suddenly not very settled as well whereas true. England know the 11 they'll pick I think I think they'll stick with the 11 that's won the, the last two games yeah like unless they rock up uh, until the end of this tournament unless now. they rock up and the pitch is clearly going to spin in
0: which case they might bring Mo back in for someone but yeah it's a very tricky call to make though isn't it yeah I, I mean it's it's, it's you really might, hard. you might
2: still even if you think it's going to spin a bit you could still convince yourself that it's either rashid or possibly Moen comes in instead of rashid I wouldn't go that way but that that is an I option. think, the, I think the and issue, then you've got Joe root I think
0: the issue at this point obviously root is bowling fine and he's doing a really good job, but Rashid isn't bowling well. Um, and so that, that that is an extra element into the debate. Of it's not that you can you can't really rely on Rashid to bowl ten flawless overs if it's a really spinning wicket. You might need to mix and match them with another another spinner. I do still think that India are a much better team than Australia, but they're a similar strategic side to Australia. Yeah, they've got true. they've got a similar setup. They want to get through the first turn unbeaten, then they want to start to accelerate in the middle, and then go really hard at the end with either Hardick or Maxwell, and then with the bowling like they've got they've all they're both bizarrely, given you know the relative histories of those two countries, they've both got very com- comparatively skillful seam attacks who can hurt you all the way through. And Stark and Boomer are coming back throughout the innings to kind of bowl these little two over, three over spells. Uh, that's a real concern, who, like whoever they're playing. I've got a really uncomfortable feeling that that's going to be the final is those two teams, India and Australia. Um, oh
2: come on, Ben, not not today. The not optimism, today. the
0: optimism <laughs> is it's kind like of drained out of me today. So But like, you know Actually, I, I wouldn't mind that because that would be that would be an interesting game. Because Because they've played a lot over the last four years and actually they've played each other at different levels in terms of their trajectories india have been really good and australia have been awful and actually australia are still the world champions bizarrely um and it's it would be quite a nice bookend to this cycle in a way if, if it was india australia it'd be the perfect bookend. if it was india england but i don't know i'm kind of reconciling myself to the idea that actually england might not progress and it there's still a kind of poetry to to that particular ending to the tournament
2: okay well we'll cross that bridge when we come to it um, um,
0: listening you can't see I'm actually in tears <laughs>
2: <laughs> so um, before I speak to uh, Andrew Alderson uh, a final question for you Ben as much for my own benefit as our listeners so what do Pakistan need to do to leapfrog New Zealand and is it even is it is it worth talking about is it actually feasible
0: um, those are two different questions it's <laughs> definitely not worth talking about um,
2: but basically they need to bat first and make a
0: billion runs and then come on ball. give me
2: a figure not a billion
0: um, I, th- I I'm pretty sure it's about it's about 600 they basically I think they need to win by something like 450 runs um, <laughs> right. so they need to they need to break the world record and then bowl Bangladesh out for about 150 um, but if they Pakistan bowl first then they're out yeah which is why the toss is going to be hilarious <laughs> <because> <laughs> The whole Pakistan teaming about there, it, like it's a penalty shootout. They're all going to be crowding around slow motion on the t- on the coin rising into the air. Um, it's going to be it's going to be really intense. All ahead know.
2: of a match that doesn't actually matter because they can't win by four hundred and fifty rounds. Exactly. Anyway. So
0: it's almost, it's a it's a proper stay of execution if they get to about first. But you know, they, they are they would still literally be in the competition. Sure.
2: Okay. Well, basically, we know our semi finalists. Then um, that is England covered for the time being. Now let's turn our attention to New Zealand, uh, who are really kind of stumbling towards the semi finals. I caught up with Andrew Alderson of the New Zealand Herald after the Black Caps' defeat to England. Uh, hi Andrew, so after six matches unbeaten, that's now three defeats on the bounce for New Zealand. They're all but through, but this is a concerning uh, development in the lead-up to the semi-finals, isn't it?
1: Oh look Joe, it sure is. It's, it's hard to regain momentum from here for New Zealand, although I would say on the flip side of that, if the New Zealand team were able to channel the... Have particularly with the bat uh, all in sync. Um, I think that uh, they could be a formidable force still uh, at this World Cup. Potentially, I mean, I know there's some uh, mathematical calculations to go, uh, but uh, a semi final looks uh, all but imminent uh, at Manchester against uh, Australia or India. So I think that uh, if the batting could match the uh, the success. Generally over the course of the tournament they've had with the bowling in, in terms of being able to drag teams back even after the 123 that Bearstow and Roy uh, posted today and, and I guess from 194 for 1 they dragged them back with uh, I think they took 4 wickets for 54 between overs 31 and 42 hmm. uh, and that was able to, to pair England back and, uh, and if they can do that and, and combine it with the bats and bring Lockie Ferguson back into proceedings there is a
2: chance. Having started so well in this tournament do you think they've started playing worse or have they just been playing better sides?
1: I think it's better sides in a way. They had, in many ways, I think, Joe, the ideal draw in that they were playing a lot of the weaker sides early on and they made capital while they could in those games. And I think if you look at those run rates now, um, just looking back at the tournament, the fact that New Zealand were able to... I guess rustle up those runs really quickly against Sri Lanka in that first game at Cardiff. They got to 137 in a in a hurry, mm. and if you compare it to Pakistan out for 105 against the West Indies, uh, that's come back to haunt them. So that's where the run rate system
2: uh, can work in your favour, and it certainly has done for New Zealand. Pakistan fans might argue that New Zealand have been a little bit lucky to to get to this point. They got that point for the washout versus India, which is looking quite a handy point at this stage
1: oh I think it's a good argument it's probably even you look back on it uh, a point gain rather than a point lost for New Zealand I think that's fair and it's going uh, you know, interesting, especially if they do come up against uh, India in a semi-final. On that day at uh, Trent Bridge, it was sort of, uh, well, it was raining, obviously, to, to wash it out. I mean, maybe New Zealand could have made the most of those conditions, but it's going to be a big ask against the Indian side, as it would be against an Australian side from what we saw at Lords a, a few days ago, just how comprehensively uh, New Zealand were beaten in the end. So there's lots to work on, but it's particularly with the batting and particularly up top, I just think that uh, Martin Guptill has to fire if New Zealanders go any further in this tournament uh, and also you know, potentially Henry Nicholls and, and Kane Williamson left less vulnerable uh, coming in at perhaps some stage uh, outside or beyond the, the ninth over. I think he's been, apart from that opening match, he's been at every every match. He's been in at the ninth over or earlier.
2: Yeah, I, the as you say, the batting has been the weakness, but I thought there were, there were signs today without Lockie Ferguson there that the bowling looked a little flat at, at stages. Um, I felt a bit sorry for Tim Southey today been a brilliant performer for New Zealand for so long not featured up till this point in the tournament initially through injury then he comes in for a big match against the most destructive opening pair in world cricket and he, and he didn't go so well it was a big ask for him today wasn't it it was and he looked to be fading there term i mean
1: cause he hasn't probably got the pace that he once had uh, but uh, you know in just it, it, when you've got Roy and Bairstow In such destructive form uh, Hard to come in And bowl against that And that's where As you mentioned I mean, Ferguson has made a, a massive difference For New Zealand Being able to get the ball To rocket it through uh, At considerable pace Up around 150 And just that makes uh, All the difference at times And I think that uh, you know, it's, it's a fair point You said bowling did struggle But it was just that period Where they were able To keep their uh, composure I suppose Between overs 31 and 42 After taking a couple of wickets And uh, just to, to at least peg England back uh, slightly because effectively the, the score was uh, was I guess it was coming up to that uh, wall of 400 in a way it was it was escalating at a great rate yeah. and i think to be able to pair it back to 305 uh, over the course of the innings was was quite good really uh, given what where
2: circumstances could have gone from a new zealand perspective uh, returning to the batting i have a controversial uh, suggestion for you uh, you can call me <laughs> an idiot if you like Uh, given New Zealand's openers aren't getting any runs and are frequently getting out on the first over what about Kane Williamson opening the batting because he's done it in T20 cricket quite successfully it would stop this other opposition having this initiative of an early wicket every single game it seems like is there any merit in that at all? I, see, I suggest it's unlikely. but would you, would you see any merit in that? I think it's extremely unlikely in the, how they play the game. I think they want
1: to back uh, the people that they've got, but it's certainly a worthy suggestion given the current scenario. Um, I'll tell you what, the other suggestion that has been made, uh, which I think also holds merit to a large degree, is that Tom Latham is a player uh, who opens in test matches uh, and has a, t- a terrifically successful record at that. I know it's not the same tempo, uh, but if it was to offer Martin Guptill some more stability, Guptill would have to be the aggressor of course, but he effectively is with with Nichols at the crease as well, Uh, Henry Nichols had tremendous success in the test game uh, in the middle order, Mm. so perhaps uh, that might have some logic to it, although I dare say they're probably not going to try that now with, uh, well, now that they're going to be in in playoff cricket presumably if uh, a miracle isn't to happen uh, between Pakistan and Bangladesh at Lords in a couple of days.
2: And then just last up for you Andrew, assuming New Zealand do go through, which I think we all are, um, they'll face Australia or India at Old Trafford next Tuesday. Who do you think they'd prefer to play? Oh, they'll certainly say either.
1: But uh, from my perspective, uh, looking at them, I think that they'd probably prefer to play India in that they haven't played India yet. And that, that potentially would provide an element of surprise, if you like. I mean, having seen what Australia did to them at Lords, and you look at what Mitchell Stark delivers. I mean, I know Jasprit Bumrah is a terrific bowler opening up as well, but I think Stark has a particular aura mm. with New Zealand with what he's been able to do. I think when you look yeah. back to you know, the World Cup final as well, and I think that uh, that would be the team they'd probably prefer because if they could get some early wickets, uh, I think they'd probably fancy their chances more, uh, given it to be... Uh, you know, fresh opposition if you like someone they haven't played previously and uh, that, that's probably the only logic I can come up with because they're, they're two pretty formidable
2: sides uh, when you're in New Zealand's position at the moment having lost uh, three on the bounce They certainly are Andrew Brilliant to get your thoughts as ever uh, Thanks so much for joining us and uh, all being well we'll look forward to perhaps hearing from you in the semi-finals
1: Indeed Joe, thanks very much for having me on
2: <laughs> Cheers Andrew That's the end of the show on what has proved to be a very big day for England Indeed, thanks to Ben and Andrew for joining us We'll be back tomorrow and Yasrana and I will be joined by Wisden Almanac editor Lawrence Booth. Do not worry, we won't dedicate a whole show or even much of it at all to the dead rubber between West Indies and Afghanistan. We'll be focusing on the women's ashes, uh, looking ahead to the World Cup semi-finals of course and chatting about some good old county cricket. This has been the Wisden Cricket Daily podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or any of the other usual platforms.
1: Podcast Network.